This is the Town Roots Podcast, episode number 58. Welcome to the Town Roots Podcast, the podcast of, about, and for Oakland. No matter if you live in the town, do business here, or are visiting, we have something for you. And now, your hosts, Anthony Wilson and Vincent Hayes. Today we're talking with Melanie Graham from Social Equity Lab. Hey, Melanie, how are you? Hey, how are you? Good, good. Vincent, how are you doing? Good, good. Hi, Melanie. How are you doing? Hey, Vince. How are you? <laughs> I'm all right. Glad to have you here today. Yeah, good to meet you for the first time. Yes. So Melanie does consulting um, with corporations and nonprofits uh, around DEI. And so I want to just kick it over to you, Melanie. Why don't you tell us about your business, about Social Equity Lab? Yeah. So Social Equity Lab is a boutique consulting firm that focuses on diversity, equity, and inclusion, also on organizational development for nonprofits, corporate companies, startups, government. Um, our sweet spot, I would say, are, are large nonprofits, though. Uh, the types of services that that we provide are, uh, oh, gosh, there's there's such a range. Um, uh, doing, like, uh, DEI-specific uh, strategic plans. Uh, we uh, implement uh, employee resource groups uh, or affinity groups. Uh, we do tons of trainings on any type of topic you can think of, whether it's bias or microaggressions or how to be an ally, just a lot of stuff on cultural humility. And what we do is we we really customize our our content. So I don't just have like this 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 training sitting right here and just will go in and and uh, train at your organization. I, I really customize the content so it makes sense. Um, we review policies uh, at organizations and companies just to ensure that they're inclusive. Uh, pay philosophy and pay equity. Uh, we do a lot around um, like hiring process and like onboarding, uh, onboarding practices, our recruiting. Uh, one thing that I enjoy a lot and that I do a lot with the business is coaching, uh, coaching, helping folks uh, just around like their their readiness to ensure that uh, the organization or company is is prepared uh, to be more inclusive. Um, a lot of the times coaching, though, it can go beyond DEI. It can just be on how do I just navigate this space as a leader or, or whatever the case may be. Uh, those are my favorite uh, clients, actually. Um, and then work a lot with boards and helping boards restructure so they are more inclusive and more equitable for themselves and for the organization that they govern. Um, indicators that you would like need my business uh, is if you have like high turnover, um, if you if there's just like low morale, uh, it's difficult to recruit, um, if there's a lot of reports of like microaggressions, uh, if you don't have a diversity statement or you don't have ERGs, these are indicators that you could probably utilize uh, my my support. Oftentimes, people are like, "My company is not racist. We're we don't we don't need you." Uh, and oftentimes, it doesn't it doesn't show up like that. It uh, it that in, in fact is far more um, covert, if you will. But ways that you know that there are uh, some hiccups are are if just those items that I. 
it's so funny. That was like what was going through my head as you were talking. Oh yeah. Right? Like, like, do you show up at a company and they like think that they don't really need you or they think that they're not, they, they don't have any issues. Like how surprised are they when you start digging in and they have more issues than they thought they had? Oh, that's always the case. And you know, that that's actually a good thing because we're getting to the root cause and we're getting to a place to where we can actually do some real work um, it allows me to focus on the structures of the organization or the company um, where I can make a lasting impact. They're cool. They're great. It brings everybody on the same page, but it might not sustain the work that really needs to be done. And so I really like to do like structural work. So working with the board and ensuring that they're governing appropriately and that they're structured to be uh, inclusive, uh, looking at like, Structures like uh, performance management systems or or um, just like the hiring and recruiting, pro- just things that are very structural. Um, I like to impact those because it'll really shift the culture of the organization. And frankly, it's easier to do that than it is to change people. I mean, behavior change, it, that can take a lifetime. And so if structures change, people will change um, along with it. So that's the approach that I typically take. Right, so easier to change policies and procedures than it is to change people's minds. Oh gosh, yeah. Oh my right. goodness, yeah, yeah. I mean, I enjoy trainings. I enjoy engaging with people. I love co- coaching. It's the fa- it's like my favorite thing to do. But I also know realistically, if you really want to sustain in an inclusive environment, we got to hit the structures of the organization. Um, and uh, I, I I I love doing that, and it's challenging work, but it's it's much needed to just sustain this 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 topic area. So do you have a background in HR? How did you start doing this? Oh, it's funny. I, by trade, I'm a clinical social worker. I, I spent uh, my career, I really started in health equity. Um, and so it just naturally evolved uh, into doing diversity, equity, inclusion, and looking more inward. So instead of me like doing work out in the community, which I, I still do, uh, it's more looking at just like the workforce. And essentially how I got started, I was working in nonprofits for, oh gosh, for like 20, 20 some years and which is great. But I knew that I could do this work uh, better and more impactful on my own and kind of pivot like the nonprofit industrial complex and and not rely on funding and having to conform to do this work in, in a way that that's just not authentic. Um, I knew that I could do it good on my own, with my own business, with partners. Uh, and so, and so I did, and the timing was good. So it just, it, it all worked out. How long does it take you to kind of get up to speed with an organization before you can actually start digging into what the, what the proposed mm-hmm. changes should be? That's a great question, uh, Vincent. Um, it could take uh, maybe a month or so. Um, it really depends on the client, but what I do to do that are assessments, uh, reviewing like uh, internal documents, uh, doing focus groups or just like one-on-one interviews. That's the process I take to really collect qualitative and quantitative data to see what is showing up, um, what what is happening here that is um, implying that something is not inclusive or equitable. I, I find that the best data is, is really the qualitative data, which is the interviews and having the focus groups and really hearing the the experience of really staff that are that are overlooked the most. 
But I also like to do it with like the CEO and, and the board because um, they're leading the charge. And so it's important that I hit both. So when you when you come back with your recommendations and for changes, um, how much pushback do you typically get like in the average organization? Um, uh, a lot. And I think even a little is a lot because um in hiring me, it's implied that there's going to be change, because that's why. And so I, I show up and I, I do the work and then I offer the recommendations. And sometimes folks are a little reluctant or change is hard. And then also in that process, there's a lot of times where um, folks have to recognize where they're complicit in ways that are oppressive to the workforce. And that can be hard. And that's where coaching comes comes into play because I can talk through that with a lot of the leaders that, that I work with. Um, so initially, uh, there can be pushback. I'm so used to that. And that's just kind of a part of it. Um, but uh, it, it just gives me like texture to, to just dive in and, and to better understand where is this coming from and what, why is this showing up? And this is how it's playing out. I, the leaders that really want to to do this work and who are not performative, there still might be pushback there, but there's still over time the willingness and the actual effort to to evolve. Um, so I'm I'm not uh, uh, I'm not too shocked if, if that comes up. In fact, if I worked with somebody and they didn't push back at all, I'd be a little surprised, to be quite honest. That's interesting. So what's have you ever run into a client that you absolutely couldn't help? You just, you said, this is a dumpster fire and there's, there's no, you, know, you should close down the organization before you try to create these structures that would, that would make people feel more inclusive. Um, not yet. Uh, and I think the reason why is because of really me and my approach and doing DEI, it's, it's not easy and it can be really messy. So what's important is like the small wins in working with clients so ideally, yeah, let's like evolve this whole organization. Let's shift this culture so everybody feels included and there's no retention and recruiting is going great and there's transparency in your pay and, 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 and all of that. But it, it can still, uh, it, it still can take quite some time to get there. That could be like the moonshot goal. But if I can just get a win and just get a, a CEO or a leader to be like, I don't, I need your help. I mean, for me, that's a win. And it tells me that I have something to work with. Um, so for me, I, I believe uh, it's a lot of my my style is that I, I don't give up too easy. I like a challenge and the small wins with this work is just incredibly important. That's great. I, I, I think that um, sometimes I, I look at organizations and, and you feel like that they've got everything dialed in, but even with those well-performing organizations, you still know that there's work to do. And, and so when you walk into someone's organization, that's like high performing and then they feel like, you know, we've, we've got the best people, we've got the best systems in place and all that. And then you show them, well, no, actually you don't. Does that, does that make them feel as though um, maybe they didn't quite understand what the mission was in terms of making people feel included? Yeah, I think people's biggest fear is that they just don't want to come off racist or be known as somebody who's racist or who who is com compliant in like a racist structure or who doesn't recognize it. I, I feel like there's a lot of fragility in that and people freak out. They do not want to be associated with that and they have a lot of pride. 
and even high-performing organizations um, could still utilize the support. Because again, this goes beyond race. This could be even yeah. in regards to like succession planning or if somebody wants to to leave your organization or your company, what does that policy look like in regards to uh, them sending an email to say goodbye? Is it, like, where do you stand with that? Like little things that still mean a lot and still reflect the culture of the organization. So I, I find that folks definitely don't want to be associated with not being equitable, but a lot of people, and it's natural that carry bias. And, and it shows. And I, I would say that there's not a company or an organization in this country that couldn't utilize this work just to ensure and solidify what you're doing and how you're doing it is is impacting your workforce in a positive way. And so what's it been like uh, starting your, your consulting firm in Oakland? Um, it's great. I started it originally in, about five years ago in New York. So a little bit before the, the pandemic. And then I moved to Oakland during the the pandemic. And um, I was excited to come to Oakland. I'm familiar with Oakland. I'm originally from Seattle. Uh, uh, so I, 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 I love Oakland and just the, the history of Oakland. There's a lot of like like-minded folks. There's a lot of different uh, individuals and organizations I can partner with because there is this style of activism and mobilization that maybe other cities don't possess. So coming out to Oakland was, an, in my opinion, a, a good idea. And I offer my services, obviously, locally, um, but my services go across the country and, and sometimes internationally. So for me, to be honest, I, I'm always striving to, to get better connected into Oakland and, and to uh, get to know as many business owners that I can, one, just to have community, but, but two, just to be around a lot of like-minded folks um, and just opportunity to, to do this work at the best that I can in, in such a cool. So, um, when you were in New York, uh, it was a lot of the core principles in, in terms of what you do founded there, or did you have, have any adjustments, uh, once you got to Oakland, like, or, or can you know, talk me through that? Yeah, no, the core principles never really changed, but what, what does change is, is is the style of how like uh, uh, I'm trying to figure out the best way to articulate this like um, the style of how like oppression like shows up is a little bit different. So and this is just my opinion and just based off of my experience. West Coast is like people, particularly in California, are really prided around just maybe not being liberal, but being um, conscious or not being racist, recycling, just having like this uh, perceived more inclusive attitude. And so there could be a little bit more defensiveness when trying to do this work with organizations um, or uh, or organizations could be in a place where they think they're doing it well and don't think that they need this 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 work or this support because listen I'm from California I I you know, I, I know what's up this isn't the South or da 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 where it, working on the East Coast it might be a little bit more people might be a little bit more uh, transparent with where they're at and then also I have clients in the South where uh, they too are a little bit more more transparent or kind of own where they're at um, when it comes to just evolving to becoming more inclusive so I have to like adjust different right. to like how folks. Uh, show up uh, when we when we start working together. It's interesting because that's that's kind of why I've been kind of poking at you with a lot of different questions because I'm from the south. I'm from Tennessee, mm -hmm. and so uh, that when 
when I got into um, the professional world, it was very monochromatic. I had to use, um, I, I benefited from an organization called Inroads, uh, where they helped kind of guide you into uh, a transition from like college to corporate environment. <laughs> and like, I, I, it, I've heard of it. It, it was, it's, it's a very interesting dynamic um, in the South. So uh, I'm, I'm just curious what it's like here and yeah. how it may be different or not. So. I'll tell you like the South for me, I, I feel like it gets a bad rap. I do a lot of work in the South too, by the way. And um, I've done work in, in Tennessee as well. Um, and where it gets a bad rap. Cause I'll have clients that I might mention that I'm do have clients in the South or, or whatnot. And I'll have folks that aren't in the South be like, Oh man, that much. There's this like this assumption that it's more overtly racist when I would say the clients that I have in the South are, are their willingness to like address it is a little bit more present. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fragility it, it's there, but it's, it's not, it just shows up in a much different way. Um, so there's, maybe the lack of denial that there's issues like they're aware of the history of of our country. And so the willingness to kind of be a little bit more upfront about it seems to be there. Whereas out here, it's like, again, folks are sometimes when it's more of a liberal environment, it can be harder to land a a point because people are really sensitive about their identity when it comes to politics and race and, and culture in general. Uh, I, I'm pretty agile and I've been doing this for quite some time and on a national level, even prior to my business. And so I, I'm pretty accustomed to how it, how it shifts throughout the country. So I, I definitely wasn't surprised there. Hey, Melanie, do you do this with schools too? Like, um, like a school and their students, like a high school or even a mm-hmm. elementary I middle have. school? I have actually, yeah, I have in California. I assessed a charter school's like policies and provided them recommendations based off of the data that they provided me on mm-hmm. how to move forward uh, over the next couple of years. Um, and, and that's been great. Uh, more Actually, more recently, um, schools have been coming up a little bit more. I'm in the midst of negotiating a contract right now with a school. But yeah, I, I love working with schools and, and, and teachers. And this is definitely a conversation that's needed uh, among teachers and administrators and, and even students, to be mm-hmm. quite honest. That's something I haven't done is work with students as it relates to this. Uh, I'm an adjunct professor uh, mm-hmm. at Fordham. And so I have opportunities to uh, do that, but not like uh, high school students or younger. So that would be that would be awesome. Because I've seen that in a number of private schools in particular mm-hmm. around here who have DEI initiatives um, yeah. and some with the with the, with the staff. And some with how the staff interact with the students, how parents interact with each other. Yeah, it's definitely a hot spot, especially just around like uh, debates around critical race theory and what are we teaching our students and, and things like that, which is just, uh, I don't know, it's uh, it's distracting from the real issues that can be discussed with students and 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 in a school setting on what what does inclusion look like and what does what does equity look like and how can we look at that and look at our history to help us inform how we can navigate better now um but sometimes it's sidelined by politics and that that's unfortunate yeah yeah so you mentioned that you started your business in new york and then moved out to california you started before the pandemic did you have to make any pivots during the pandemic? You know, the only pivots that I, I had to make during the pandemic was doing this work. And 
having to transition doing it remotely, like whether it's trainings or just like hard conversations uh, that can be intimate, that can be private. I've had conversations and coaching sessions with folks that are just like, I, I think I'm racist <laughs> and I, I, I don't know how to undo this. So, those, someone, so you had a conversation where someone actually said that to you? Yeah. In, in oh, wow. so many words. Yeah. More than, more than a couple of times. I think I'm black identified. I'm mixed race. I'm racially ambiguous. And I think with dominant culture with white folks, I get more of honesty than I, I'd like. <laughs> it can be kind of hurtful, but it's, that's what I'm signed up for. And I'm, I'm here for it. Um, but it also actually helps me to really dig into the, the, the real issue. I think that's where my clinical background, uh, kicks in. Um, but yeah, pivots would just be transitioning those types of conversations and doing trainings and stuff remotely. Like now I couldn't imagine doing it in person. I do it in person all the time, but that, that was a transition. Also during, um, the pandemic during, during COVID, it, we were dealing with far more country was dealing with far more than just that. It was also just like the racial unrest and things like that. And I have to be honest with you, the last two years, that's the most successful my business has ever been. I think what's happening in regards to pivoting as it relates to COVID is that now I'm getting, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling kind of like the aftermath. And what I mean by that is because we're post uh, George Floyd, I think dominant culture has lost focus on that. This is still an issue that this is still real and this matters and it still needs to be a topic of conversation. More importantly, this impacts the bottom line. If there's leaders that are harder to evolve in regards to their interpersonal feelings about race, if they don't evolve knowing that your business is impacted and your money is impacted because your environment isn't inclusive, then that potentially could be uh uh, a very difficult case. I won't say a last cause, but not too far from it. So can you share with us some success stories that you had where you like went into a organization or, or a company and really came away with, wow, that, that went really well. And I'm not talking about like one meeting, but just like the, the whole experience of the, of the, of your consulting engagement. Yeah. Yeah. Again, it's, it's about the small wins that really matter with this work, but there was an organization that I was working with and uh, 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 they were, they really wanted to ensure that they were inclusive. Um, they were experiencing a lot of turnover, particularly with, with black folks, something that I call like black flight. Um, there were a lot of microaggressions. Um, and I started working with the leaders of the organization, the employees and the board. And I started to recognize there were some attitudes on the board that were um, a little off-putting. Uh, there was some reluctancy to better understand why centering Black employees was important. And so it, that and why diversifying the board racially, why that is important. Um, and initially, they were just like, I don't see the benefit of that. There were times where they there were some individuals that didn't feel like... Uh, racially integrating the board was progressive. They didn't associate blacks with wealth. So they didn't understand like why, why should we make this concerted effort to diversify the board? So there's like these, a lot of these misconceptions and misunderstandings and um, bias and, 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 and racism that I, that I recognized really early. And so over time working with them, I was able to get them to evolve and shift uh, to recognize why, why black employees need to be centered how what's happening in our, our national culture is a reflection of 
uh, on a micro level of what could be happening in the workforce. And uh, the success of working with him is that over time, uh, the board, which I found a little bit more difficult to, to work with, uh, at some point they decided to uh, expand and have a committee that focused solely on equity and hold the, the organization accountable to ensure that DEI was a part of their DNA. And so for me, that was a win because where we started and, and to hear that you don't associate blacks with wealth and all this stuff, you didn't understand why black folks need to be centered. And we're in the midst of black men and black people being murdered every week. That was hard. And that was difficult personally for me. Um, but now I can look back and say, you know what? That was a success. We started there and this is where they evolved. Uh, they still have a ways to go, but again, it's those small wins. And for me, that was, that was success. How much of your work actually uh, involves diversity, equity, inclusion as it relates to like the LGBTQ space in, in the lot. Bay Area? Yeah, a lot, and, a lot. And what, yeah. do you, what do you, and what do you normally like uncover and then, change or hope to change mm-hmm. in organizations regarding that? Yeah, a lot. Of, well, great question. A lot of it just even just like with pronouns, I have a client right now and they're just just having a very hard time wrapping their head around pronouns or uh, gender neutral restrooms or just having sensitivity towards um, trans employees. And so it's often a, a topic of conversation. And the way that I approach it is um, one. Let's just get let's let's get to a place where we can share the same language and understand what's what's okay and what's not okay. Which trainings can achieve that, and so that's great. And a lot of times, organizations organizations think they just need that. But what I push them to understand is like that's the start. Now we have like a baseline, right? Now we're all on the same page. But like, how can we ensure? that LGBT employees and staff are protected and feel like they belong there. And that is really looking at the structures. It's really ensuring that policies are um, being enforced as it relates to microaggressions. A lot of times organizations or companies will have policies against like microaggressions or discriminatory language, but they don't enforce it. And so it's getting them to understand this needs to be enforced. Um, There needs to be a very clear uh, response uh, to ensure that LGBT staff are protected uh, and lifted and centered at, at your organization and at your company. Also implementing an, a, an affinity group or an ERG. ERG is employee resource group uh, primarily for uh, uh, LGBT folks is I think really important and, and, and powerful. Um, so that's uh, essentially with a broad stroke how I would uh, grapple with it. But this is why I think collecting data is really important. I want to hear from staff. I want to know. I want to get into it and I want to have conversations and have a real intimate conversation on on, on what their experience is like so I can then um, translate that into action. So for anyone out there listening uh, that is a leader of an organization, what would be kind of the, the, the telltale sign that they need you to come in and, and make some changes immediately? Yeah, I know. Great, great question. Because again, folks are like, they might see me coming and go the other way and run. I don't need this lady. I don't, we're not racist. We love LGBT folks. And it's just like, it's a little bit deeper than that. It could be indicators or it could be uh, high turnover. There's a reason why people leave. And it's, it's typically the experience they're having at work. And so I think as a CEO or as a leader, you might want to understand like, What's going on? 
Um, it could be that it could be, uh, low morale. Um, it could be, um, a difficult recruiting. Uh, there could be a reason why folks don't want to work there that maybe stakeholders just don't know. Um, there could be reports of microaggressions and, and you think that you're, you're addressing it, but if they consistently keep on happening, there's something structurally that's allowing for that to go on. So those are just like indicators for, for HR CEOs or, or boards to know if that's happening, if that's the experience, then you, you, you need to hit me up. And does your work typically require you to speak with like previous or past employees or, or you just work with who, who you have? Um, I, I could, I, I have before. Um, yeah, I, I, I like to, I like data. I like to hear people's experience because it allows me to make an action plan that is, uh, that can be successful and realistic. And the only way that I feel like I can do that is if I, the better I understand what, what's showing up, the better I have a chance of helping, uh, the organization undo it. So, Melanie, a couple of things that you said that I really like is that you said data and I do surveys and I do interviews. Like you really go in and talk to the people and make informed decision. It's not like a, a one, yeah. one solution fits all. Right. Yeah. Um, but one thing I was curious about, kind of the main categories, I'm guessing you can tell me if I'm wrong, are kind of race, gender and LGBTQ. Right. Those are kind of the three big buckets of where there could be some bias. Yeah. 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 Women, the experience that women have. Maybe mm-hmm. uh, a wage gap, um, but yeah, for the, for the most part, sure. And, and so, my question is: Do you find that one of those is usually bigger than the others, or is there sort of a ranking of them, or are they just kind of all the same? It depends on the industry, but like with nonprofits, it, it might be more of a racial thing. Whereas with corporate companies, I find it's more gendered, mm-hmm. where it's more like we want to have a women's affinity group here, or women's ERG, or we have women that work here, but they're just not in leadership. Um, and so it, it varies by, by the industry, uh, at least in the experience that I have as to what, what, what the issue is. Um, and again, a lot of times I feel like, like leadership just aren't aware if they're not a person of color, then how would they know? You, you, you know what I mean? What the experience is for a black woman in that space. And, and, and so, yeah, it, it really varies, uh, by, by industry. Um, so what tips would you give to another small business owner? Oh my gosh. I love this question because I wish I, I <laughs> had exposure to that when I started. Um, well, this one is really simple. It's as soon as you start, as soon as you get your LLC or, or whatever a title that you get for your, your company, um, get a tax plan, get, uh, you know, get on a plan that, that allows you and empowers you to pay your taxes like every three months. Um, I know when I first started, I had to pay. I didn't do that. I, I, I intended on obviously paying my taxes, of course. Uh, but doing that all at one time was painful. <laughs> um, so yeah, I would recommend getting a really good tax plan. Um, and the other thing is too, is being an entrepreneur is, is, isn't, is not easy. It's hard. And there's been times I've wanted to quit or give up. And so one tip that I would say is, adjust, but don't quit. Don't give up. Just keep going hard, make whatever adjustments that you need to make. But if it came easy, you're probably not making an impact. So it's hard work, but I, I think if it is hard work and you're still present, then, then that's your purpose. And so, 
I'm definitely projecting at this point. I, I never in my career have practiced self-care affirmations as I did when I started my business because I needed it because it, it, it's hard and it's, it, it gets harder and harder to be quite honest. And so um, oftentimes I, I'm like, oh, wow, what am I going to do? But I, I hang in there and it, it tends to work itself out. I think that's great advice. And I love when you say, if it comes easy, you're probably not making an impact. I think that's oh, yeah. so true. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. You, and you might be the first guest we had to get a tax plan. I mean, that's great advice, but I don't think I've heard. Did Vince, has anyone ever told us that before? Get a tax plan? <laughs> yeah. Get call get a, an accountant. Let them yeah. know what's up. Get a tax plan. Make sure you're writing off everything that you can write off. Do more yeah. research outside of your account. I bring my accountant. I'll be like, I just saw this on TikTok. Is this real? Can I can I put my house on this? Like, let's do this. Like, do whatever you got to do because um, uh, the taxes are important, but you don't want it to take you out. Right, right. I also love a just but don't quit. Oh, yeah. Gosh, yeah. Melanie, this has been fantastic. How can people find you? Yeah, well, my website is www.socialequitylab.com uh, um, or you can reach me at socialequitylab at gmail. Uh, that's a way to reach me. Um, either way is 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 totally efficient and I'm always ready. I got partners, so I, I have other hands involved and uh, they're, they're amazing and, and super, super good at what they do and we're ready. Thank you so much for your time today, Melanie. Thank you. Thank, thank, thank you for listening to the Town Roots Podcast. For more information about the show, to leave comments and connect with the hosts, head over to www.townroots.com.